Welcome back to this sixth round of the Yard Team Number Jeopardy. The category is Canadians for 200. Let's see the clue. This comedian finds the funniest complaints every week, but who could have predicted his complaints about James Duthie? Nobody? It's Logan Saunders. Who is Logan Saunders? Your mother is a whore, Trebek. Shuck it, Trebek. <laughs> I'm really, really disappointed we didn't see anyone say suck it, Trebek to him. Yeah. Welcome to Celebrity Jeopardy. <laughs> is this podcast just going to be doing Trebek impressions? As Will Ferrell, yes, or uh, was it Jimmy Fallon as French Stewart, I believe, was one of my favorite impressions from Celebrity Jeopardy? Because French Stewart is a loser. So, as always, you can tweet us using hashtag Yattencast or email us at yattencast at gmail.com. And what an episode. Not as much advertisement plugs as other weeks. But, it's, but we don't get product placement this week in the form of, say, BMO or or uh, Orange Julius or some other product. But the product instead is a whole city. Yeah, it, it's back to the uh, idea of the Yukon from last year. Yes, that is exactly what I was thinking when watching the episode. I said, I don't think there's been this much blatant advertisement for a city or a province to or territory to come visit us as much as uh, this round. It certainly seemed like they were spending the entire tourism budget on trying to get Targ. Yes, because, yeah, definitely last year it was only the Yukon that really stood out as, like, okay, guys, we get it. You need people to boost uh, revenue for the territory. We get it. But this is the first time... Oh, there's a spider crawling on my laptop. Uh, But this is the... Cool flying fish. (laughs) But this is the first time that this season that... There was a round where it felt like they really wanted to uh, visit them. So pretty much Yukon and now Sudbury are in that exclusive club of, okay, guys, you can tone it down just a bit. It's almost like their advertising campaign was, come to Sudbury, we have Alex Trebek. Yes, and only for a few hours. <laughs> Before he has to go home and watch Matt Locke. Oh, man, he, he, he was so bored hanging out with John Montgomery. Can you imagine if you're John Montgomery? It's like, oh, you know, I get to hang out with Alex Trebek for for the day, and then after the six team checks in, you just you see you can imagine just picture Trebek putting a hand on Mon- on Monty's shoulder and saying, uh, "Sorry, Monty, um, uh, you know, as much as I love being here with you and talking to you, um, I'm, I've got some better stuff to do." Yeah, how disappointed would you be if you were the 7th or 8th place team and then uh, found out you could have met Alex Trebek? You got ditched by a 75-year-old man who had better things to do than you. (laughs) If the 75-year-old thinks you're dull, you really need to reevaluate your life. I think this episode was improved by the presence of Trebek, mainly because he started tearing up, but... Well, what would have been even better is if, if not only was Trebek there, but the people from the social, so that <laughs> Trebek is forced to interact with the co-host from the social. From... Oh, man, he would just he would just lose it. From um, what I know of Mr. Trebek, I, I would assume he would not appreciate the harpies from the social. No, he definitely would not. So, previously, eight teams rediscovered Quebec, where they were tested at almost every type of route marker. Detour, roadblock, double battle, and active route info. Neil and Kristen struggled at the roadblock, and Simeon Opie sank at the double battle, leading them both to take six-hour penalties. 
Gino and Jesse uh, won the leg, but it was a keep on racing. So everyone continues. Without a speed bump, we need to point that out, that because it's a keep on racing leg, for some reason producers treat this differently from non-elimination legs, and the last place team gets to skip out on the speed bump, and it's pretty much like a non-elimination penalty from the first four seasons. And teams must now fly to beautiful Sudbury, Ontario, via PEI, and find Valet Mining, I would pronounce it Vale, but whatever, to find their next clue. And they have six hundred and twenty dollars on their card for this leg of the race. Did you notice that they introduced the six hundred twenty dollars when Brian and Cynthia departed at six twenty p.m.? Better than them departing at four twenty. Yeah, and then be given four hundred and twenty dollars. We all know what Mickey and Pete would have done with that money. And I was pleasantly surprised we got partial departure times. Uh, yes, and unfortunately, because it's a keep-on racing leg, uh, the previous round is completely null and void, because it's just equalizer on top of equalizer on top of equalizer, which means hypothermia victims uh, get to be fully recovered. Yeah, get to sit waiting for a ferry at 8 o'clock. Yeah, with the sad siren. And apparently wrestlers are big, dumb, stupid people. Um, yeah, well, if you if you followed Hulk Hogan in the news lately, I would say that that is a strong possibility. Or if you follow what's happened to Razor Ramon over the past several years. And do you know Jesse get the honor of doing the terrible product placement? It was subtle this week, though. The BMO card they didn't fully, they didn't verbally introduce it on air. They didn't commit. You know what? We skipped over PEI. I think that I think this is probably the last time we're ever going to see PEI. On the Amazing Race Canada. It's a shame because the PEI leg was actually one of the better ones last season. I quite like the PEI leg. Yeah, and the Green Gables, what up? Well, mainly because we're seeking gender ownage, but... Yes, that too. Domination. So once teams get to the mining place, they find an active route info, which is to descend 1.3 kilometres below the surface, and break rocks until they find a nickel pellet in a rock. Uh, only team, two teams at a time will be permitted to attempt this task. Did you know, Michael, I hate to interrupt you with this yet again, but Sudbury is the greatest place in the history of the universe and that you should definitely go there right after you watch the episode. It's the happiest place on Earth. Like, all of your dreams are going to come true the second you land on Sudbury soil. The nickel, the nickel soil. Listen, I've been to the happiest place on Earth. Sudbury is not Disneyland. Sudbury is Canada's Disneyland, Michael. And I mean, there's there's clo- like it, it's like there's clones of Trebek that you know just wander around town. You know, everyone's very educated. Uh, you know, the three hundred lakes, three hundred lakes. I mean, you know, screw the town that has two hundred lakes. Four hundred's a bit excessive, but man. Just imagine all the things you can do with 300 lakes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they managed to find the one lake that Alex Trebek grew up on. <laughs> yeah, he's never canoed on the other 299 lakes. Or he did once, and, he, and then each time he was just as disappointed. And after disembarking, he would say, oh, what is this is not the same as, as Ramsey Lake? Maybe uh, Trebek was just abandoned as a child and raised by a uh, a monster who lives in the lake. That's why he literally was gr- grew up on that lake. Maybe floating. Yeah, I think the monster is named Winston, if I'm not mistaken. Get it? Because it's, cause it's the machine that knows all the Jeopardy questions? Okay. 
I was surprised at the mining task, at, at the first mining task, that with it being called the valet miner, that there was no valet parking whatsoever. I guess it's only reserved for dimes. And also, this is a terrible task, because it just... Why have only two teams compete? Safety issue? Yeah, but it's not like it's a face-off. Why actually do this challenge? Why not come up with another mining challenge? Because it separates everyone out after, you know, the massive equaliser. Like if the if the face-off was the first team to find a nickel, I guess would have been, would have been better. Like, it would be very Mario Party-ish when you think about it. Two, two versus two, trying to find the nickel first. That would have been a better idea. And, and it, you know, instead of, you know, like in Mario Party, well, the older ones, how it's ten coins for a win, the winning team just gets ten additional nickels. And it takes twenty nickels to buy a star, which is a dollar, a loony for a star. And there's only one real moment in this, which is Kristen breaking the hammer. Yeah, and if I was any of her exes, I would be pretty terrified right now. They're probably playing every uh, Canadian breakup song possible at the moment. Probably some Avril Lavigne. Probably some Avril Lavigne, probably some Nickelback, probably some Marianas Trench. Maybe B44 is the feeling dirty. Fun fact, Michael. Did you know that the big nickel in Sudbury was built after Nickelback became an established band, and they originated from Sudbury, Ontario? That's where the... You know, Chad Kruger and uh, who cares about the other guys in the group, but that's where they all met up and wrote their music, and that's how they became big was in Sudbury, Ontario, and they got, uh, they you know, they were immortalized by the big nickel. Yeah, somehow I don't believe you, mainly because I know the story of how they got their name. <laughs> it's funny, at my, at my workplace, whenever the change that I give back is uh, is just a nickel, I say that that's how Nickelback got their name, too. And I've, and a couple of times people have believed me, so... They did get it from the phrase, here's your Nickelback. They thought, hmm, Nickelback. Yeah, that's, that's, what I, that's what I always tell customers. I don't care if it's true or not. They genuinely did, though, that's the thing. Okay. Uh, so once teams get their nickel pellets, they have to head to the giant nickel to find the next clue. You know what I loved about it when teams were trying to find the... A giant nickel, or the well, the big nickel, I guess it's officially called, is that you know when somebody spotted on the road, somebody else would say, "Oh, good eye." I'm thinking it's 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 the big nickel. I'm sure it really stands out visually when you're out driving, searching for it. That'll be like going to Paris and saying, "Oh, you you found the Eiffel Tower, man, man, eagle eye, eagle eye." It did make me laugh that at least, and for the first time this season, we have definitive proof that one of Gino and Jesse actually knows geography. Because Jesse actually knew there was a big nickel in uh, in Sudbury. Well, to be fair, it seemed like a lot of the teams knew about the big nickel because it makes sense when you think about how nearly every team left was either born and or raised, or, or born and or lives in Ontario and the only other team is Brian and Cynthia that live in eastern Manitoba yeah, in like eastern Manitoba and then you have Nick and Sabrina, who live next door on the other side in Quebec. So everyone that's in the race lives in close proximities to the Big Nickel. Like, I'm living here in B.C., and we're all, because with this season, for some reason, my uh, my parents are paying attention to the season as well, and uh, as well as my sister and other family members, and none of us ever heard of the Big Nickel. 
And I'm not Canadian, I had no idea it had a big nickel. Yeah. So, once they are at the big nickel, they have a choice, which is fast forward or the detour. And the fast forward teams must travel to Science North and help feed a turtle a portion of mealworms and crickets. A turtle! Oh, it's such a cute task. But what they don't know is that they are also going to have to eat a portion of mealworms and crickets themselves to win the fast forward. It would have been funnier if they had to eat the turtle that they just fed. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) I think they probably would have had some complaints on their hands, especially after last week's uh, Don't You Know About Veal complaint. Which is one of my favourite complaints I've ever seen on on Tark. I've been a vegetarian for seven years now, and I think last year those bar was set pretty high with eating the snake's gallbladder. So I think eating a turtle wasn't wasn't too wouldn't have been too big of a step up from that. Yeah, right. maybe eating <laughs> the turtle you've just you've just helped uh, feed, and also you know we're trying to save it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the whole point of the task. <laughs> so maybe saying, oh yeah, you know that turtle you've just fed? Yeah, it's going on the barbecue now. That would be a little bit off. <laughs> oh no, it's up to the, it's up to the team. It's They get to play the role of the emperor from uh, Gladiator. It's up to Gino and Jesse whether or not the turtle lives or dies for the sake of their fast forward. And I think Gino and Jesse, the Volta Mussolini's, have such a low moral compass that they probably would have ate the turtle. Yeah, they would have said, can we kill all the turtles? All? Yes, just make them all extinct in all of Sudbury. Just like their mining industry in 15 years. And the detour is a choice between analyze and synchronize. And in synchronize, teams must learn and perform a synchronized swimming routine to receive their next clue. And in analyze, teams must take part in a CSI simulation and correctly map 10 pieces of evidence to receive the next clue. And there are four stations at each detail. To go back to the nickel task, I love the guy who handed out clues there because he sounded really sarcastic. Like whenever a team found a nickel, he would always say, You got it! As if he was mocking them. Yes, you got it. You found five cents. You can't even buy a, a five-cent candy anymore because now it's inflated up to 25 cents. They're quarter candies. True story. And and when teams were going down the elevator, I had flashbacks to the Wonka tunnel from the 70s uh, version of Willy Wonka, also known as the good version. The Gene Wilder version. Yes, and and they should have had Gene Wilder in the elevator there and projected images on the wall trying to freak out the teams as much as possible. Yeah, I think Kristen was freaked out enough. Yes. Deep down. Deep. Deep down. And ironically, Gino did say to Jesse before they found out they had to eat their own set of bugs. Day to eat that. Fail. Yes. Bozos. Yep. And in... A result that shocks no one, Gino and Jesse won the fast forward and can proceed directly to the pit stop. I think Gino got the right, got the best side of that fast forward. At first, he didn't have to eat anything. He got the role of feeding the turtle for the good first chunk of it, and then he just ate the rest of the worms in 0.2 seconds. So Gino just shoveled the entire thing in his mouth. Jesse wasn't too sharp. If only Joe Rogan was there, especially with John Montgomery eating the worm as well. There should have been a moment where John Montgomery should have said on camera, there's one thing you got to know about me, Joe Rogan. I eat worms. Yeah, if Joe Rogan was there, it'd probably be combined with having to eat leeches or have, have your, your entire body shaved or being tear-gassed. 
And it would have been a brilliant Amazing Race crossover because they could have brought Alan Wu, who appeared as a contestant on Gear Factor like 10 years ago, which started his career in the first place. It could have been Amazing Race Canada with Joe Rogan and Alan Wu all in the same womb. Oh, man. That would have been something. And Wu would have been well up for it as well, knowing Wu. Yeah, he would have challenged Joe Rogan. He's like, you want to do the shot glass drink that made me vomit uh, 10 years ago and nearly made you vomit even though you didn't drink any of it? It was just from watching us drink it? Well, it's your turn, buddy. It's your turn, Joe. Step up. Get it? Because Joe Rogan is really short. And Kristen is very, very, very loud. Too loud to be a police officer. And everyone tries to pick analyze. Awkward. It's a limited station's detour, guys. Yeah, if you know you're in, like... Sixth or lower, you probably should try synchronized first. And John Montgomery apparently has an interest in synchronized swimming. The first person to express an interest in synchronized swimming in probably 15 to 20 years because I know for a fact that nobody pays attention to that in the Olympics. I cannot think of a single obscure athlete, even as obscure as the ones we see in Amazing Race Canada, and not a single synchronized swimming name pops up. And we actually got confirmation of the story that he told originally when he was uh, appointed as host of Talk about his uh, maple leaf tattoo on his chest. Oh. I believe the story was he's that proud of a Canadian that for his 18th birthday, him and his mother got matching maple leaf tattoos. Oh, oh, this brings up a hilarious thing that somebody said online. Uh, Somebody was super duper offended by the Amazing Race Canada this week because they showed the Canadian flag, but it was sideways. Just imagine, like, if you live in Belgium, you would probably be super offended that it's like, oh, well, it's just the it's just the German flag, but on its side. You always have a lot of fun for um, weird complaints. And the fun is definitely not going to stop, because that was the first complaint I saw was the one about the sideways Canadian flag. So, And I've already found 30 other complaints, and that's just in the span of a of a day, so it's still going to be a pretty good week. Is anything going to touch the ranty Quebecois man from last week, though? Let's be honest. No, nothing will touch the kayak referee, no. Not even close. <laughs> not even for millions of dollars. I will sue you for millions of dollars, Michael. I know, not a fictional currency. You better be willing to give up all the big nickels you got. So, when Brent and Sean get to analyse, they decide, we can't do this, we'll switch to synchronise. And Nick and Sabrina beat out Simi and Opie for the last station, forcing them also to go to synchronize. Two of the teams that desperately needed to be at the analyze side of the detour. Not that it mattered much in the end anyway, but... No. It's even funnier that, with knowing that it's going to be synchronized swimming, and Opie still wants to go over to the synchronized swimming to check it out. To check if it's in the shallow end. Oh, I can't swim. And Kristen was actually pretty funny this week. She was hilarious. She uh, she probably outdid Nick and Sabrina in terms of comedy, which hasn't happened in any of the previous five episodes. Nick and Sabrina have always been number one. Mainly because, as we will get in, into later, Nick and Sabrina weren't really shown. I don't know what on earth happened with the editing this week, but Nick and Sabrina were shown probably least out of every team, including Simeon Opie. Uh, Dijon and Leilani didn't get a whole lot of airtime either. I think they got even less uh, airtime. Yeah, it just, it really confused me. Because, as you well know, I did go into the episode accidentally knowing that Nick and Sabrina went. But I was sort of looking out for 
any sort of real reason, and there wasn't really a reason. It's. I wrote that down too, thinking this is weird. Nick and Sabrina haven't been mentioned until they got to the analyzed part of the detour, which was about, I guess, halfway into the episode. It's, and I'm thinking this is the very first time all season long that they've been the under the radar team. But then as soon as they talked about their age gap, then I realized, oh crap, team uh, production doesn't want, or rather the editors don't want to crap all over them during their elimination round. So by showing zero negative footage, then that means they get pretty much zero footage overall for the most part. And also that age gap thing was from like one, for the record. Same audio clip, of course. Just like how they used the... There was this, uh, I think it's either the Thailand or Vietnam soundtrack that they used in the earlier seasons. I noticed that that was used right when... Monty was introducing the analyzed side of the detour. I thought, um, I don't think Sudbury is in Asia. Not yet. Give it time. I mean, it's that it's that good of a city that it's it's technically located in all seven continents in the world. And Kristen's great quote from the analyzed detour was, "Now I know why people are dead here." Yeah, I mean, four people were killed in such a small area. So, I mean, Sudbury, as as we all read in the article posted online through the the Sudbury City newspaper, they threw tens of thousands of dollars into promoting themselves this week. And they're really promoting themselves as the new murder capital of Canada. So Winnipeg, um, put your hands down. Uh, It's no longer your jam anymore. Tens of thousands of dollars. Yes. They even hosted a a viewing of it. Yes, a two-hour viewing party in Sudbury just to... to, uh, further reinforce that this is like their... It's it's pretty much like their last chance to be popular amongst Canadians. They wanted to raise awareness of the city to outsiders, including those who may be considering travelling, studying, or relocating to Greater Sudbury. Yeah. What's funny, too, is that... Oh, I just had a... Let me think. Give me one second. Jeopardy theme. Cue the Jeopardy theme. It's just hilarious because if they could be exactly like the kayak guy from last week, where if nobody visits Sudbury as a result of all the tens of thousands of dollars they put into tourism, will they suddenly sue uh, Amazing Race Canada for millions of dollars as well for not successfully bringing tourists in? Just like how in the previous round, that note that... Uh, Amazing Race Canada didn't bring enough people in to buy uh, new kayaks. So Nick and Matt are the first to leave Analyze, uh, with Brian and Cynthia in third place, I suppose. Uh, Brent and Sean leave Synchronize in fourth. Simeon and I believe Analyze in fifth. Neil and Kristen were sixth. Dujon and Leilani in seventh. And Nick and Sabrina in last. And teams must now drive to the Sudbury Outpatient Centre and search for their next clue. Yeah, um... I guess we have to talk about Brian and Cynthia failing at their own uh, occupation at the detour, yeah. which I don't know if they were really CSI people. Yeah, not really. Yeah, so I don't really consider it quote-unquote five-holing or whatever lame term we have for uh, people that finish or people that fail tasks that uh, are somewhat connected to their profession on Amazing Race Canada. So I feel like editors really go out of their way to be like, oh, 
This is somewhat with what they do. Isn't it hilarious that they suck? That they sucked at it. Then this task must be really hard. I mean, Nix wasn't really a traditional five hole because he's a goalkeeper. He's not going to be doing these skills, and he's not going to be blindfolded. <laughs> the only real five hole is the actual five hole from last year. Yeah, because Nat Meg should have been able to do everything there. You know what, though, with Nick, even though he had the blindfold on during the soccer test, he really should have just let his heart guide him to the net. He should have let his heart guide him to the net. That's what Sabrina's trying to teach him, and hopefully one day, maybe with age, once Sabrina is in her 40s and he's still in his 30s, he'll he'll finally learn this lesson. So sweet. Uh, so once teams get to the outpatient center, it's a roadblock, which is who has heart. In this roadblock, one team member must learn and correctly perform CPR on a dummy for two minutes. If the pulse of the dummy starts up again, they receive their next clue. And it was Matt, Cynthia, Sean, Simi, Kristen, Nick, and Leilani doing this roadblock. Clearly for the dummy, his heart didn't guide him. Because he died numerous times during this task. So he really ignored Nick and Sabrina's advice. Also Nick, off of Matt, is a CPR instructor. And he didn't do this task. Imagine if, now, if he did this task and he failed, then that would be pretty embarrassing. Yeah, then that would be a five-hole. He's probably glad that he didn't do it. Because Cynthia used to be a paramedic. You know what Matt should have done is, for the first attempt, knowing that, you know, Gino and Jesse are going to finish first and that he's in a, and then that he's in a comfortable second or third place position, for the first attempt, he should have pulled out a bunch of wrestling moves. Like, he should have gotten on top of one of the carts and just did, like, a flying elbow smash on top of the dummy and, like, started punching it in the face and going in for the pin. <laughs> Pile driving it, just practicing every wrestling move he has in his repertoire on the dummy. I think they were probably told not to try and break the dummy. It's probably quite expensive, let's be honest. Yeah, and the, but the, and the plus the, the dummy was probably... You know, it probably hasn't eaten for quite a while. In fact, it was it was it probably ate less food than that turtle did because that turtle was sure hesitant to eat those worms. So I think the turtle and the dummy both have uh, uh, food, uh, food eating disorders. And according to Nick, Matt kind of looks like Doctor Evil right now. And he does. They 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 really love their pop culture references. I knew I would like them ever since they referenced uh, the Street Fighter Street Fighter the movie, which. I saw, which I've seen a few times just because of how terrible it is and some of those clips that I love reusing for my blog. So they won me there. But what's disappointed me is that the one reference they haven't made yet is one in regards to Street Fighter, the movie, the game, or the Sega Saturn. And then Raul Julia was already dead when, right before the game was about to be released, so they had to replace his voice acting for M. Bison. Game over! And as we well know, Sean gets sick when he overexerts. I wish he threw up on the dummy. <laughs> yeah, I, w I was hoping for that as well, because I thought that that was what they might have been leading to. And then the medics just have to throw the dummy off the table, and then they have to put Sean on his back and do compressions on him, and he just keeps vomiting. We're losing him! So it's Nick and Matt leaving the roadblock in second, Brandon's into in third, uh, Brandon and Sean in fourth, Simeon Opie in fifth, Neil and Kristen in 6th, Dijon and Leilani in 7th, and Nick and Sabrina in last after 9 attempts. And teams must now head to the pit stop, which is the Bell Park gazebo. For anyone who didn't win the fast forward, they've got to canoe across 
uh, the lake to get there. The last team to check in here may be eliminated. If Cammy and Carly had to go to this pit stop, they probably would have just swam across and completely avoided the convenience of the canoe. Yeah, they would have waited. And then Montgomery said, oh, all the other teams just took this, uh, took the canoe and just did this quick, uh, quick diagonal line across to the pit stop here. You swam across all the way around the island before you came in. And after last week's laughable prize, Gino and Jesse actually win a decent one this time, which is two tickets to any of Air Canada's destinations in California, which I'm assuming is going to just be LA, and a year of petrol. Maybe they're going to go to San Diego and jump into jump over the border. Yeah, they probably do fly to San Diego and San Fran, actually. I'm probably just being a, a little bit mean there. but Yeah, San Diego, the second largest city. San Diego, the eighth largest city in the country. Save our Colts. Save our Bolts. San Diego, also a very nice city, having been there. Yeah. Oh, John, our John Oliver clips always amuse me. And Nick and Matt finally broke their third place curse and got second this week. And with Brandon Sinter in third, Brent and Sean in fourth. And also for more information on how to form CPR, hit up the CTV website. Yes, an actual advertisement for people to learn CPR in Sudbury. Mainly because they'd seen such laughable attempts at CPR in the roadblock. I do have a theory as to why teams had to do CPR right before the pit stop. Because if you know Alex Trebek, he's had a couple of mild heart attacks in the past 10 years. And I think because he's 75, he's very much at risk. Um, I think teams had to do CPR right before the pit stop just in case something would happen to him. You need, you need all the help you can get, you know. You need, you need all hands on deck. But when I was watching Nick do that roadblock, I was just going, slow down, you're going too quick. It's the passionate Italian in him, you know. You just you just compress, 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 and just open. Just be like, you know, it's it's a uh, what is it, shaking baby syndrome or whatever it is, where it's just like, ah, no, here, that's just a bit extreme. Don't be so intense. I was just going slow down. It's supposed to be two beats a second, and Simeon Opie managed to make Trebek cry in fifth place. Yeah, what jerks. <sighs> Oh no, you mean, oh, it was a happy cry for Trebek. He was touched and moved. And Neil and Kristen were 6th, Dijon and Leilani were 7th and Trebekless. Yes, Trebek left early. Should we talk about that? He just had no, he, I mean, after he cried with Simeonopi at the pit stop, he was, he just didn't care to talk to anybody else. Did he, or did he stick around for Neil and Kristen? He stuck around for Neil and Kristen. It was the first six teams. Yeah, it's funny that it's like, oh, you know, Siminopi, uh, you know, I'm, I'm touched by your guys' relationship, and I'm tearing up, and then Neil and Kristen come along, and he couldn't care less about them. He said, oh, you know, you, screw you guys. What is screw you guys? Neil and Kristen, eh. Clearly, Trebek is not a sports Jeopardy fan. And then he just goes home because Sud- the town of Sud- Sudbury blew their entire city budget for the year on promoting themselves and could only afford Trebek for about three hours' time. It would be interesting to see what time Dijon and Leilani did check in. Or maybe Trebek did have to go home early just to watch uh, reruns of Matlock. I don't know. I don't know what kind of condition he's in right now. Yeah, because if it was actually him just having to go home at like 5 o'clock for his uh, his evening meal, then that is hilarious. <laughs> yes. And our dear Nick and Sabrina are eliminated in 8th place. 
Yeah, if only Nick at the CPR task could just remember to compress and help try to revive somebody to the pa- to the pace of the BGs' staying alive. That's what they teach you in all the CPR courses. That's what I learned from the office. Yeah, it genuinely is what they teach you in uh, CPR courses is do the BGs staying alive. For one slogan is not lying. Maybe the Bee Gees just weren't big in Italy, and their and none of their songs were translated into French, Spanish, or Italian. So, I don't think it's any shock that Nick and Sabrina have gone, but it is a massive loss for the season. What's supra- what's shocking is that this round had a canoe task and a swimming task, and neither of those were relevant factors in Nick and Sabrina's elimination this way. They were just, they were pretty much at the bottom right from the t- time they got to the big, or not the big nickel, the, the Valley Mine, and were in, I think they were in the, were they in the second to last group? Because that's what annoyed me too, is that we really didn't get a good grasp on who was paired up with who for the mine task. I think they might have been in, actually, I think they might have got there last, actually. Oh, they were in the last group? So who were they with then at the end? Was it just Dujan, Leilani, and Nick and Sabrina going last? Because if that's the case, then. This may have been a really short leg, which I think it was because everybody checked in during the day, wasn't it? And then Nick and Sabrina were sort of like late evening-ish? Yeah, Nick and Sabrina didn't check in that late. It certainly wasn't that dark in the pictures I've seen. Because it would have been, because the round started at, what, 10 a.m. during the day was when the mine opened up. So this would have been early May, so we're probably looking at probably like... Well, I guess eight or nine hours later when they checked in. Yeah, if that. So it was a really short round, and also I think it was Dijon and Leilani that Nick and Sabrina were with in that queue. So that that's probably what screwed both of those teams. So nobody really took over another team during the during this leg, if I'm not mistaken. No, I know that everyone's expecting me to be hard on this leg because of Nick and Sabrina going home and them being basically the stars of the season. And it's not just that, it's the fact that there were just some weird decisions, like the editing, like the fact we didn't see Nick and Sabrina basically for half of the episode that they got eliminated in. Yeah, actually when we've been talking during this podcast, I noticed that I did actually write down uh, on the second page of my notes for the episode, just wrote down Nick and Sabrina and then colon invisible. So even I was noticing just how absent they were, because... That's how big of characters they've been for the first five episodes. They were, they were really driving the season. I'm that's no joke. About eighty percent of the opinions in the funniest complaints blog, and just eighty percent of the opinions I think about this season in general. Whenever somebody brings up a specific team, has been about Nick and Sabrina, whether it be positive or negative. So. Uh, so they definitely they definitely were in the driver's seat in terms of airtime. Logan's complaint blog will be a much worse place because of Nick and Sabrina going home. Yes, there really isn't any talk about Nick and Sabrina for this week. So it's just, yeah, it's, I'm curious where this season is going to go now because they delivered a ton of comedic value. Like people, I think we're really going to, I mean, I really noticed it this week where it was Kristen sort of taking over with, Annoying Brian and Cynthia at the CSI task, and then, and then everything else was just uh, OP rehashing how he can't swim, which is almost it's getting funny because of how much the editors beat us over the head with that fact. Where it's just OP having that same trademarked uh, 
surprised look on his face saying, oh, I can't swim. I'm not comfortable with this. And also, who's actually going to be a fun, satisfying winner now? I know it's really depressingly early for me to say that, but Nick and Sabrina would have been an amazing winner. And exactly what Tark needed as a winner. Yes, but it was very apparent early on that that wasn't going to happen, especially with their edit. In the same way that Amazing Race US needed Flo to be the first female winner, I think Tark needed. I think Tark needed Sabrina to be the first female winner. Yes, I think that's a very good point because when you think about the winners so far in Amazing Race Canada, yes, I wanted the the Tims to win over the other. Other well, pretty much the other well, almost everybody in that cast, but they, nobody in that cast really stood out to me in the first season, and then the second season, uh, Suki and Ginger. I mean, all of us wanted to have them win by a mile, and that would have been an amazing victory for the franchise, especially over Natalie and Megan. <laughs> yes, and then this season, uh, Nick and Sabrina could have just ridden the bottom of the pack for the all the way through, and then have some surprise, crazy stroke of luck at the end, but. When they finished as poorly as they did in some of those rounds, I think it was a really, really big order to have for them. I didn't expect it to happen, but it's sort of the sort. It is the sort of thing that Tark needed as a first female winner. Would have been Sabrina being the first, oh, the first female to win Amazing Race Canada, because you can imagine about the last four rounds, her just getting confessional saying, "I'm the last woman left. What the hell." <laughs> I am the last woman standing. That would have been pretty funny. Especially, actually, when you think about it, as we've had the absolute maximum number of females that could be eliminated by this point in the season. Like, how many women are left? Is it just Kristen, Simi, and... Leilani. Leilani? Are those the only three? I guess those would be the only three, eh? Uh, well, it's Leilani... Oh, Cynthia, Cynthia. Kristen, oh, my goodness. Cynthia and Simi, yeah. Do not read into the delay of me not bringing up Cynthia. Maybe I was, I was, well, it's because Brian keeps calling her Chewbacca, and I don't know what gender Chewbacca's are assigned. I don't really pay attention to Star Wars. Basically, Logan's saying that Cynthia isn't a lady. Oh, now you're just twisting my words, Michael. Why would I ever twist your words when we have Brian and Cynthia favoriting their own tweets? They favorite their own tweets, they milk their own balls, they, they, they really do their own handiwork. Brian and Cynthia do need to stay in the season as long as is physically possible, though, now, for pure hilarity reasons. I think they will be taking over the comedic reigns because they, the thing with Brian and Cynthia is that I know with some of the viewers that I was surprised how many people want Brian and Cynthia to go next because they view them as a quote-unquote non-family-friendly team and view them as being crude. But, I mean, that sense of humor is just rare to find on these types of, of uh, competitive reality shows, so that's what makes it that much funnier, especially with the with our, with our sense of humour as well, so... Hey, casual fans, if you really want to see a season without hilarious people, you don't. You do not <laughs> want to see a team a season full of game bots, because that will be the season that you'll go, oh my god, I love these winners, but it is so boring. It, so you're saying that would, a season like that would be 11 teams from Sudbury? Yeah, pretty much. It would be the Sudbury of casting. You do not want to see that sort of a uh, a race, and I do not want to see that sort of a race because I'll have to podcast about that sort of a race, and it will just did be you, me whining for twelve weeks. Did you appreciate Cynthia and Brian's little uh, game of of uh, preserving their lie about being cops, sort of like Jeff Kent preserving that he's a 
an ex-professional baseball player? I am warning you now. Brian's wink will become a recurring screen cap in our videos. I love Brian's wink. And I will find every single use for it. What was the exact quote that they had? I can't even remember. I didn't even write down the quote because I was too too busy making sure I remembered to screen cap his wink. Because I love it. It's, it's just going to have so many uses. Or just how they had to try and play them. Like, the, what the thing is with being cops is that, you know, nobody cares whether you're cops or not. On the Amazing Race, anyway. It's not like your former federal agents and saying your kindergarten teachers like Carrie and Stacy from Amazing Race 20. <laughs> yeah, being police officers is maybe a target, but only if people don't respect the police. You're more likely to get alliances out of telling people you're police officers. Well, look at, look at, uh, well, who was it? Uh, there was a team in Amazing Race 3, Andre and Damon, where one was a firefighter, then one a police officer. And absolutely no one respected them, even though I personally love them and love referencing them. Nobody respected them by the fourth or fifth round when they started paying the leading teams to let them follow them to each route marker and then try to sneak away with the first place finish at the end of the leg. Yeah, I do love people who go into Amazing Race and just say, we're not going to tell people we're, we're going to say we're kindergarten teachers or that sort of thing. Because people must think that Nick and Matt are lying when Nick says, oh yeah, I'm a, a school teacher. They're like, yeah, whatever. We'll find out after the season. I work I work as a bartender, but really, I'm a, I'm a r- real estate agent. It's like no one is threatened by a real estate agent. They're convincing. We're conniving. Oh man, you know, so many qualities that come with being a real estate agent are viewed as so deceitful. And so strategic and so brilliant. Did you know that the gazebo was sponsored for this leg, the pit stop? The Bell Park? Yeah, the Bell Park. Apparently Bell, the company which owns uh, the distribution for the Amazing Race Canada, owns the gazebo in Sudbury. Or if that's to that name, it's just completely coincidental. Yeah, it's probably just coincidental. But I'm sure that's why they picked the park, though. They're probably thinking some... It's probably some rep at Bell Media looking at places they can go to in Sudbury after sitting on a pile of $70,000 that the city tours and board uh, presented to him. He's thinking, hey, let's have a pit stop at a place called Bell Bell Park. It'll be great to promote the Bell Media brand globally. I know full well that they are not averse to that sort of thing, but I don't think it was deliberate. It'd be funnier if it was. It would be funnier if it was, yeah. Free advertising, something that the Sudbury Tourism Board clearly doesn't know the definition of. So, next time, it looks like another episode that I'm going to be whining about. Uh, Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, trampolines, Brandon Cynthia fighting, and a detour choice of hoops or teepees. You know what? This is, this is why I don't like Canadian lakes, because this week with Sudbury, it was like, like the mine and the big nickel was fine. But then we get these lame locations that are just generic universities and campuses and uh, just canoeing across any old lake, which, I mean, that's the thing that bugs me with the Mason Race Canada at times, is that when you do it at generic places like a university or a research center that exists in any town ever, then it's just, it's almost as if you're promoting local towns to have their own version of a Mason Race that they can produce cheaply as well as opposed to the American version where they 
intentionally go to route markers that you can't replicate here because that what's that's what makes the race amazing. But yet here in Canada, it's like, oh, go to this campus. Now go to this university. Now go to this research center. Now go to this synchronized swimming pool that has several students from another university. And you know what? Um, you guys can replicate this in your own uh, homemade versions, wherever you may be. That's not amazing. Yeah, even the mine was like, yay, it's a good location, but what a task. It should have been like the Amazing Race 10 with the mines, where they incorporated crazy uh, bikes that they had to pedal back and forth a great distance, and teams there were completely exhausted. Yeah, if you're going to do that sort of task, at least don't separate the teams out. I know it was necessary because of health and safety, but don't do that. Don't have a task like that. Make up a roadblock or something. Make it a two-roadblock leg for all I care. A nickel block. Then you can have four different people searching through the piles. Exactly. And then the other everyone else just feels like a loser because they don't get to go over a kilometer into the heart of Sudbury and create their own version of Metropolis. The 1920s German film. Thankfully, this is the last Canada leg for a bit next week. Yes, because we already have it officially confirmed even before the season started that we're going to India. Yeah, I believe India is after Saskatoon, but I'm not 100% on that. Yeah, I think that's a good chance too. I know India's in that pair of legs, but I don't know whether it's India first or it's another country first. That's really got to screw up with people like Kristen who just suffered through hypothermia and then you've got to go to a miserable place like Saskatoon, and then you go to India that's going to be 50 degrees Celsius there. Yeah, India had a heat wave when they were filming there. <laughs> this could only go well for teams like uh, Neil and Kristen. If only there was a Nunaboot team on this season. So, we did have a couple of listener questions. What? So, Chris Cheng wanted to know, is there no speed bump for last place finishes in non-elimination legs in the Canadian version? Already answered it. Yeah, there is, but not in a keep, keep on racing leg, just like on the American ones. Which annoys me greatly. And Patricia wants to know, how long did it actually take Brent and Sean to do the swimming competition? I'm going to guess about an hour. Yeah, there was actually an additional unaired task where they had to sort all of the rainbow caps. Yeah, fact. And no, I didn't find it hilarious that they had to do synchronized swimming with a bunch of women. Tee-hee-hee, gender roles reversed. So hilarious. Uh, Logan's social justice warrior coming out here. (laughs) So, any final thoughts about this episode? I would say it's the weakest of the season, and it's accompanied by a a team, a, a devastating elimination, but one that probably could have happened in any of the past four episodes, or past four eliminations. The season is going to be worse because of their presence not being there. It's going to be, yeah, I'm curious to see if the entertainment value will keep up because if I had to rank like the top five or six laugh out loud moments so far, I think Nick and Sabrina occupy every single every single spot in there except maybe one. And would the one be the cargo net by any chance? I was thinking it would be something that would involve Brian and Cynthia that doesn't come straight to mind. But the cargo, yeah, the cargo net might might be might slip in there, yes. On that note, I love that Brian managed to pick out that it was Cynthia's face that, that Matt was doing Ghost with a couple of weeks ago. I don't know whether I mentioned that on the podcast or not, but I didn't even tweet it at Brian and Cynthia. But Brian, Brian found it out of the blue and managed to correctly pick that it was Cynthia on the cargo net, which is awesome. Which makes sense because Brian and Cynthia, Nick and Matt, have been 
you know, through six episodes, we really haven't had two teams that are racing this close together uh, for this long. Yeah, uh- at the halfway point last season, Suki and Jinder were in the full throes of being awesome. And we've basically lost our surrogate Suki and Jinder now. So we need someone to take over it and be hilarious next week. And then probably get cruelly eliminated at Final Four, but you know. Predictions? I think we've got to see Simi and Opie go next week. I am amazed with how... I mean, even six episodes in, their edit has still been really small. Like, last with the Quebec episode, it was the first confessional they had in, like, three episodes... And they still finished in dead last like we all expected them to. And then this week, they just get an itty-bitty more airtime, but it's still just, oh, Opie can't swim. And uh, and then they just, I don't know, they just managed to get a miracle with the CSI task, and then Simi just does well with the CPR task, and suddenly, boom, they get to, they barely survive this week. But I think next week that, just with having no edit besides, oh, Opie can't swim, that it's, it's got to come to an end. And I can't wait for Opie to be bouncing around on the trampoline. That's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, that is going to be really screen grabbable, but I just don't understand how how they will survive again, honestly. You know what we really need for the Saskatoon leg is to have a cameo by Shala and Nabila and see how they would do on the trampolines. Are we just going to suggest Shala and Avila doing every task this season now? This is three weeks on the trot. This, you know what's terrible about the Amazing Race Canada production team is that they hired Devin Soltendeek, who was a great much, much music VJ back in the day, but he's just turned into a lame guy now, and he he does all the tasks along with John Montgomery and while they're filming, they upload it as the extra scenes online. And he just doesn't like a lame person would. But imagine if you just replaced Evan Solendeek with Charlotte Nabila uh, touring around with John Montgomery. And you'd have clips that would be ten times more entertaining. Like, for instance, last week, Devin Solendeek did the ride at part of the detour where he was on the horse. Could you imagine Charlotte, who has the term Charlie Horse nicknamed after her, had to ride an actual horse? There is no way that would have ended well. Because Devin, Devin Soldik actually completed that task. There is no way that Charlotte would have been able to do that. I hate to break it to you, Logan, but I'm not sure that people love Charlotte and Avila as much as we do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure they're as much of a punchline as with everyone else as they are with us, as being maybe the most obvious first boot of all time. Maybe they, everyone else just suffers from chlorine tightness. Also, whilst I remember, I've just done the uh, the pool update. Am I not last anymore? Uh, no, no, you're still last. Um, in first place is still Michelle with 43 points, and Eamon with 41, me with 38, and then you with 36. But I thought I was better, but maybe maybe you guys are better because you know stuff. I feel bad for the people at the pit stop there, the orchestra. None of them, they were kind of, they may or may not have been overshadowed by Alex Trebek. Yeah. In fact, what they should have done is not only have the orchestra people there, but you know those random Olympians we see from the first two seasons that give teams clues, like the speed skater at the Richmond Ice Rink in season one, and then the woman who was in the season premiere of season two on the zipline. Yeah, they should have had the those people as well at the pit stop with Alex Trebek, and then teams just go in there and they don't even acknowledge them. They just they just fawn over Trebek. Yeah, they didn't really use Alex Trebek that well either. 
No, he's he Trebek was just part of the tourism thing where he said, "Oh, this is where I grew up. This is my lake. I had lots of romantic canoe trips across the lake." They didn't even have Monty do any puns or anything. No, even the only pun left in there was Sean saying he was left in jeopardy, but that was like the worst pun possible. Like, I would have at least like if I automatically if I see Alex Trebek and I'm at the pit stop, I would have said the episode title. I would have said, "Oh." Who is Alex Trebek? And because I would just be phrasing everything in the form of a question, just in, just until uh, Trebek would be pissed off. All they had to do was put in the um, the pit stop clue. So Bruce, most famous resident, here's a clue. This game show host, blah blah blah, and then people could have just run up and gone, "Who is Alex Trebek?" Yes, that's exactly what they could have done. Like there were so many better ways to play the Alex Trebek appearance, and they did nothing with it. It's just like, it's just him crying over seeing Opie's bond, which, I mean, is good, I guess, but, I mean, there was nothing funny. Other, well, there was a, a clip online, an extra scene, where he makes fun of Nick and Matt's paddling for a good minute or so. Yes, he just makes fun of their paddling, saying, oh, I saw you guys paddling, you went you went the wrong way for the most of it. It's it's like you got, or, what was this? He was, oh, I know what he was saying. Then he's like, it's like you guys were in an action film being chased with the way you were paddling, so you guys were just all over the place. And then uh, and then Nick said, man, I can't believe we just got made fun of by Alex Trebek. Like, that would have been a great thing to include in the episode. And, even more depressingly for you next week, you've got to watch a program with James Duthie. Oh, next week, after the Saskatoon Lake airs, there will be the first... First reunion uh, show of the season, the mid-season recap called After the Race, even though it's midway through, with James Duffy and six eliminated teams, we presume. At least five eliminated teams is the official word. Yes, but there's going to be one more next week. They're not going to use up their other non-elimination leg next week. That'll be weird. I hate to go all history on your ass, but the earliest a final non-elimination leg has been used is eight, I believe. But how many non-eliminations were there? And that was with, yeah, four non-eliminations. With this season, though, there's only two. It was with two non-eliminations in the season. They used their last one at eight. They used one at nine, one at eight. When I say that, oh, that'd be weird if they do that, and your response is, well, they did this in the Israeli version. It doesn't exactly (laughs) help. (laughs) Yeah, you got to find that. The record for an English language version is seven, I think. I also think that seeming OP will be gone next week, and... I'm still convinced that the winner's edit belongs to Dijon and Leilani. I didn't even flinch when they were in dead last with a few minutes left to go in the episode, because I think their winner story is that three-dimensional. Can we basically rule out Gino and Jesse yet? <sighs> they still have their rivalry with Brett and Sean. Brett and Sean still have their rivalry with them, and then Brian and Cynthia have a lot of bonds to the other team, so I pretty much am expecting the, those four teams to be the final four. And that these next couple of weeks will just to be weeding out the the two father daughter teams and then whichever other team I forgot to mention. I think the next two rounds or the next two eliminations, both father daughter teams will be going down. I just I feel like Gino and Jesse are going to get U turned out of the race. They're setting that up now. I think that the, I could see them being eliminated in like India because we know Gino. Is good at geography, but just not international geography. And I could see them just being completely off their game in India when they have to do real racing 
unlike this Sudbury leg where it was, you know, do the Sudbury Amazing Race instead of actual Amazing Race. I just feel like, especially with this week, they're setting it up that someone's going to try and use and Gino and Jesse out the race, and it's probably going to be successful. They're not getting the Amy and Maya edit of, oh, they look so positive, we're so jealous of them. They got the, I think it was Nick and Matt, got the confessional of it, can't these guys ever be in the back of the pack? Which just says to me, they are going to get eliminated. Well, even with, like, I think Brian and Cynthia said, oh, isn't their luck going to run out? So... I think you're right. I think we can say, I changed my mind, we can say that Gino and Jesse are not going to win the season based on the edit alone. But they could win a couple more legs in the process and rack up prizes that hopefully are as lame as travel to uh, a Canadian destination. Yeah, because as you might remember, I did promise Michelle before the season that if Gino and Jesse win, we have to try and pursue them for an interview. And that's a promise nobody wants you to live up to. Exactly. Can you imagine... Me having to edit that interview is all I have to say. So, of all the Mussolini's, uh, tell us about your time on the race. Yeah, I didn't actually say that I would be doing that interview. I would sub it off to one of you guys. So I have to talk to the Voldemort and Mussolini's? Yeah, I wouldn't be going anywhere near them. So do I, do I have to compliment them too and say, Hey Jesse, or hey Gino, you had a really good eye to spot the big nickel. Man, that was a real needle him in the haystack, wasn't it, buddy? In a way, I just want you to do a really sarcastic interview with them. Oh, well done. Well done for spotting the big nickel. I can be as sarcastic as the guy in the mine. <laughs> you got it. Well done, you. So, anything else to add? I think we covered it all. Um, very sad to see Nick and Sabrina go, and well, I'm curious to see who can pick up the slack, because we're only at the halfway point, so, you know, that's, that's a... You know, like, It'd be uh, it'd be sad if we're suddenly in for a week second half. Yeah, thank you very much for joining us. We'll be back next week for another Amazing Race Canada episode. If you enjoyed the show, and even if you didn't, please subscribe to us on iTunes and give us a like on the YouTube video. And if you want to see what we're rambling about this week, our Twitters are in the descriptions everywhere. And if you missed our interview with Mike and Michelle from Amazing Race Twenty Six, that's also available on the iTunes feed for you to listen to now. Thank you again. Who is hashtag Supercowacky? What is hashtag 250? And what is hashtag Yetencast? And what is peace? Where is A Town?